This podcast is by G. Wayne Miller for the Providence Journal. My name is Jocelyn Tavares, and I'm from Providence, Rhode Island. I've been at Kodak for about a year now, and it has really helped me a whole lot in different aspects of my life. So, so talk about some of those aspects, what, some of the issues that you've been dealing with before the pandemic and now. Before the pandemic, um, I was going through a lot of personal issues with the government, um, with a case, and also with depression, mental health, and also um, a lot of pain, in, literally in pain. And I was actually taking um, opiates um, to numb the pain, sometimes the depression, and it has actually helped me a lot. And even accepting help with mental health is a big thing. And I've gone through so much in my life. I never really wanted to expect to accept help from anyone. And Kodak has opened up the idea to accepting the help that I needed. Jocelyn, was, was there a turning point when you realized that you, you did need to reach out to people who could help. You said before that you had, you had resisted that and you were, uh, you were using substances and, and resisting help. Was there one event? Was there any one thing or was it sort of a, more of an evolutionary process? It was a slow process, but I think that the most, um, the turning point was when you're obligated to do something and you don't want to do it, when you're told to do, you know, to get the help, um, you're like, no, no, you're resistant to even accepting the help and going through the, the mental health and accept, you know, talking to the counselors and a few of the, um, the people that work at Kodak, it got me to open up and to actually learn to accept help. Because I'm very, I was very prideful. I didn't want to get any help. I wanted to do it basically on my own and on my own terms. And most of us that have either an addiction or mental health and are not willing to accept the help when offered. And the more that people want you to get the help, whether it's family, friends, or even at, you know, a uh, hospital, or even at Kodak. Um, until we get to that point that we're willing to accept the help, we won't. And that's where Kodak, can't, Kodak came into my life. Obviously, you've never had to deal with a pandemic the same way all of us have never had to deal with a pandemic. Talk about some of the challenges it has created for for Kodak and for the patients and the people you serve. And of course, that's a whole lot of people throughout the state. Yeah, it's usually about 5,000 annually or, and their families. So yes, many people. The primary challenge was mitigating exposure for our, the individuals we serve, their families, our staff and the communities at the same time that we had to enhance services, behavioral health care services, substance use disorder services, uh, because of the stressors 
that are caused by the pandemic. So the pandemic was driving us down this road of you need to have less individual contact at the same time that you're providing enhanced services. That was our challenge. That sounds like an enormous challenge. I mean, so, so how, did you, how did you meet that challenge? Um, we actually did it. I have to say that um, our staff uh, were remarkable in being proactive. And so we began in staging. Uh, one of the primary uh, exposure mitigation practices that we adopted immediately was that whenever anybody came to the door, much like other, other healthcare and other businesses, we did a screening. And the screening were the quest CDC questions, temp, et cetera. If someone said yes or exhibited a temperature, we asked them to wait in their vehicles and we would bring their medicine out to them and then also give them 13 days worth of medicine so they could go home and self-quarantine. At the same time that we got current telephone numbers and we would have nursing staff or case managers follow up with telephone calls to make sure that those individuals were being connected to their primary care docs for guidance throughout those next 13 days. The next step was to look at the relaxed regulation around take-home medication because the service that we provide, one of which is providing the medicine of methadone, is from my perspective over-regulated federally. Um, however, it, it, those regulations were relaxed. So we put into place criteria for people to be able to take more medicine home with them and self-administer it, therefore decreasing exposure in the clinic and the community. They could self-quarantine if they weren't feeling well, they could self-quarantine if someone in the house was at risk, much, much they could shelter in place. We expanded the amount of medicine people could take home. We provided it to them uh, curbside, if you will, with no disruption to the community. We also delivered, uh, we delivered medicine to those that couldn't get in. So we would give them their methadone, their suboxone, we would drive it to their homes and give it to them, come back and do that, we had that set up. We also were the provider of, um, of uh, medicine for opioid use disorder for the project at the Wyndham so that the homeless could be sheltering in place. So there were a number of things that we did in terms of uh, uh, shifting criteria for self-administration of medicine in order to protect our staff, our patients, and the community. And then the third step that we took was, of course, utilizing telemedicine. So we did that also phased and department-specific. So lots of folks were getting more medicine than they were used to having. So we had our medical department calling daily, those folks, how are you doing? Is it working for you? Do you need us for anything? Reaching out. So we were doing medication management services through strictly telehealth, strictly telephonic actually. And we continued to stay open, but we stayed open for admissions and we stayed open for crisis, medical crisis and other crises. And then, of course, we get into telehealth in terms of maintenance, medical maintenance, 
which was working beautifully and continues to work beautifully, and telephonic and other telehealth modalities for counseling. That has been received remarkably well, remarkably well. So much so that um, probably in June, uh, we entered into a relationship to measure the success of this, the, the efficacy as well as patient satisfaction and staff satisfaction with the uh, um, Brown School of Public Health. Dr. Rose Martin and her team have helped us. We've had about 2,000 people regularly receiving telehealth services, and they are completing surveys for us. Little by little, steps by step, because it's always baby steps. You start off with, you know, it's like a child. You start crawling, and then you start walking, <laughs> you know, and then you want to run. Well, I'm at the walking point. You know, I did the crawling part, and now I'm at the walking point. And I thank Kodak for all the help. The pandemic obviously has created its own issues in terms of treatment, in terms of isolation. Some of the factors that can exacerbate, you know, underlying conditions like depression. How are you finding that, the, the changed conditions now? With this pandemic, is like it kind of went from the crawling to the walking. It took, us, it took me back to the crawling part, you know, of the mental health and all that. Thank God for Kodak that got me this phone so I can actually get in contact with them. Because there was a part, like, because of this pandemic, I wasn't getting the calls through my counselor. I couldn't see my counselors. I couldn't talk to anyone. And when they came and offered this phone to actually, you know, get communicated and to do the, you know, the appointments, that was definitely a plus. I didn't have a phone that you could actually see a person, you know, and talk to them, express that, you know, how much, because you feel lonely, isolated from everyone, especially with the pandemic. And I was finding so much progress that it kind of went backwards again until they gave me this phone and I can actually communicate with them if I, if I needed. They gave me the hotlines, but when you feel comfortable speaking to a person, um, it's different. Instead of calling a hotline, you know, I'm scared, I'm, going, I'm thinking this, I'm getting suicidal. Um, but when you're talking to the person that you're, you, you, know, you feel comfortable with, you're like, well, this is what I'm thinking. This is, you know, I need to talk to someone and it kind of calms you down because you get anxiety goes from zero to like 10 real quick. So when you talk to someone that you're used to and you confide in, you feel a little bit more comfortable. So this pin basically took me backwards a little bit. And now with the phone and the teleserve, it has helped me much more. So where do you think you and other people, and there are a lot of other people, you know, in, in your same circumstances, where do you think you would be without Kodak now? Myself, personally, I wouldn't be in the state that I am now, which is coping day by day with the pandemic, with my issues, because I still get depressed. I still get anxiety. But without Kodak, I wouldn't, I don't think that I would have had much progress. Everyone in there, in this particular Kodak, and I'm going to speak about the particular Kodak that I go to, um, I feel is more 
like a family oriented. They treat you like family. And I've said this to Laura, I've said this to Sherry, to Ileana, you know, Maria, my counselors is like, I really feel this is, I feel comfortable. If I have any particular issue, I'm not scared. I'm not afraid to actually reach out because they treat me like family, you know, and, and these days we can't see our family. We can't, you know, unless we have a phone, thank God for Kodak once more again for this phone. Um, you feel lonely and that gets you going backwards, you know, within the mental health is like you feel in a box, at least with the help from Kodak and, you know, all the services there. And like I said, it feels like more like a family so I can reach out and ask for the help, which was very difficult for me to do before. What would your advice be to someone who might be watching this or will read the story? My advice to them is you're not alone. Most of the time we think we're by ourselves. We don't deserve the help. We don't, you know, it's not going to, we're not worthy of. One of the things that they have taught, taught me and um, have made me understand, not taught me, but made me understand that we're not alone. We are worthy of, you know, of getting this help that we need. It's not, um, how can I say? It's not, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel embarrassed of where you've been in your life because we're only human. We are only human, and as long as we can get up from that darkness, from where, you know, wherever we are, because we're all in different, you know, situations, we are worthy of it. There is help for us. And just be willing, because I know we all have that little piece of us inside that wants to get help. But we don't think that we're worthy enough we are. And we're only human. That's the line, the phrase that I think. We're only human. We make mistakes. And if we fall back down, as long as we get up again and try, that's what matters. And we have people to help us that are willing to help, and help, willing to help us and wanting to help us. Continued funding is an issue. Talk about that. I've written about that, and I know that a lot of community providers, including Kodak, are, are quite concerned that that will not continue. There's been a bill introduced uh, to make this permanent. So talk about where you stand now and what, what you think should happen. Okay. The, um, what has been introduced, we obviously support 100%, and we support every aspect of it. Uh, we have... And I mean, those that, if you look at the number of letters, because it's public record, if you look at the number of uh, written testimony that has gone in, um, at least 95% of that written testimony that have gone to the respective finance committees for this um, has been positive. We support this, we support it, we support it. That's anybody that's providing healthcare at this point for two reasons. Uh, one, we, <laughs> if you're going to believe the science, we're gonna see a surge. We're going to continue to need to, until there's a vaccination that's been proven, we're gonna to need to continue to be safe. Mitigate exposure, mitigate exposure. How do we do that? 
We've been doing it and we're proving it now through different kinds of telemedicine services. So, and you know, and, and the second piece of, of this, we know that it's working. I guess the problem, and we knew that it would be a problem, most of us, is that we've seen an increase in utilization. You know, our patients across the board, I have it here in front of me, 91.3% expressed general or exceptional satisfaction with telehealth. That's a lot of patients. Um, and that's not even everybody yet. So, <laughs> you know, when these, when these results come out, they're going to be pretty astounding. So the membership, so to speak, of a neighborhood health plan or a United Heritage or whomever, um, uh, the membership is saying, we want this, we like this. The entities themselves are the ones that have been giving the letters that are um, not supporting this legislation. And uh, clearly, I mean, if utilization's up, then that means that they're paying more, right? Um, should there be guardrails and guidelines to make sure that this is being provided, the service is being provided with competence? Of course there should. Um, I don't think there's any of us that uh, would want to be fraudulently billing for something. Nobody wants that, you know? So anyway, what we've seen in these, the, the primary uh, cons to this are that um, we shouldn't have just telehealth. Well, they're absolutely right. It needs to be on the menu because there are times we need to have face-to-face. But what we have learned is number one, our patients and our staff are telling us that this is effective. It's not just easier, the access issues go away, I don't have to take two buses, I don't have to drive and find a parking place, I don't have to worry about my sister in the car with my three kids. There's all kinds of things that actually detract from focus and concentration in a counseling session that aren't present when somebody is in the home. And we're getting really high numbers about that as well, that people have confidential settings in their home. They are more comfortable, it's easier. And so they're enjoying it. And we are having an increased level of utilization with um, therapy. Has it been a lifesaver? Uh, it certainly has. I don't know what else we would have done actually. And we have those calls that, um, and you know, I, I have some, even uh, for those that had depression on there um, as part of what they struggle with when they come to us, 60, 72% said that the telehealth services assisted them with their depression during this stressful time. I mean, these are all anonymous. There's nothing in it for them, <laughs> you know, other than responding. That tells us a great deal because we all know that isolation is basically the, the sort of the antithesis of what we need when we're healing from any behavioral health care issue. So my final question, Linda, would be, how, is, how, how are you and your staff managing uh, and, and how is Kodak managing financially during the pandemic? Uh, we're about to see that. Uh, we, of course, have been very proactive 
in accessing any federal dollars that could help. Um, the reimbursement, this is a critical issue uh, about our future. The reimbursement for telemedicine or telehealth, uh, telehealth services has been, has exhibited parity. We are getting paid the exact same amount when we talk to someone on the phone as if they were sitting in the office, okay? That has been the lifesaver for us. Uh, what is being presented by those who are opposed to this legislation is that they're using the term equitable instead of equity instead of parity because they're making the assumption that it is somehow less expensive to pay a counselor, pay for licensing, pay for their office where they're sitting to make the call, pay for the license for the computer. Um, the only difference is the patient isn't in the room breathing oxygen. And that to me indicates that it is an issue of parity. And we need to continue to receive the same compensation, which in Rhode Island is already the lowest on the East Coast at least the northern part of the East Coast. So um, that's critical. And we are okay right now. I, mean, I have to say we are absolutely okay. We will not be okay if these services aren't, if we don't have a continuation of compensation uh, in <laughs> equal to face-to-face -to -face contact. Thank you, Linda. Stay safe, your staff stay safe. Thank you too. Thank you for all you do.